0: Lord, thank you for the opportunity to join you. Um, No one conceives anything without your power. Um, No one sees anything without your power. And so, God, we thank you that um, that the cross is the staple for the Christian life and that we are not. And so, God, as, as we dive in and chop it up, In the word of God, um, and we close this chapter in yet another series that you graced us to go through. Lord God, I pray in Christ's name that you would um, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord God, our strength and our redeemer. In whom we trust. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 We've come to that time where we've come to the end of Jonah. Um, We've gone through yet another book. Um, Four chapters took us quite some time to go through. Um, But the word of God is so rich. It's so alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I want to thank the guys who have been preaching over the last few weeks and kind of are caring for the flock. They did a good job, didn't they, y'all? Yeah, praise the Lord for, for, for everyone um, who kind of fell in line and kept things going to the name of Christ. And we've been going through a series that I think has been helpful for us uh, to, to, to look at ourselves. I think that one of the things that's easy to do as a human being, not just as a Christian, but as a human being, you know what I'm saying, um, it's easy to look at um, Every, everyone else's fault to not see your own and see where you need to change and where you need the gospel to impact. You know, I know that everybody's, you know, looking at the fact that Michael Jackson, you know, passed this past week, and you know, I know some of y'all got y'all worship on to, to uh, the King of Pop and everything, you know, and the Lord's gonna bring a spanking to you, amen. But, um, but no, I think it, it, it's, it's a big thing that's impacted our, uh, impacted our society, that type of thing, and I ain't gonna lie. I did have me a glitter glove in the eighties, you know what I'm saying? Um, I had me some high waters and I had some penny loafers, y'all don't know, no, see I don't know nothing about no penny loafers. You put the penny in it, If you, you show off if you had a quarter in it, you know what I'm saying? You try to work the quarter into the penny loafer. some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking, it just whizzed past you, you know what I'm saying? Um, but those were the best shoes to do if you wanted to do the moonwalk, and so that's the ones you have. But one of my songs that I think is, this, I mean the song, the, one of his songs is very appropriate for the day is The Man in the Mirror. <laughs> The man in the mirror. I, I love that song. Um, um, I love that song because I think it's true from a general revelational standpoint. Not special revelation, but general revelation. Um, I, I want to start with me. I don't want to start singing because I know y'all will be waving back and forth and holding up your cell phone and light lighters and carrying on. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but I like that song because, you know, Michael Jackson in that song says, I, 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 want, I want to look at myself. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been in Niclera. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make the... Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Na, 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 na. That joke was all right, y'all, that joke. It was all right, I ain't gonna front, I ain't gonna front. Uh, but, uh, dang, he got some hits, but, but man, uh, But, but, but that's what God is saying to Jonah. Jonah, God wants Jonah to look at the man in the mirror. And as we go to chapter four today, we see God in a counseling session with Jonah. It's interesting, they're in a counseling session, and he's trying to counsel Jonah through some stuff, he finally has a one on one with Jonah. Him and Jonah are finally actually on speaking terms practically. And so God is working with Jonah um, in a, such a merciful, such a merciful and gracious way. And, 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 and one of the things that's beautiful about the living God is he, he wants to take the time to, to get us to realize things about ourselves in such a beautiful way. And so today, I, I want to talk about totally exposed. Say totally exposed. Yeah, I believe God wants us to be totally exposed to ourselves, but also totally exposed to Him. And and and, and been totally exposed to Him. That means He exposes, and we don't expose. So look at look at verse one. I'm gonna read through it, and then we going I got one point. We're just gonna go one point. I'm gonna just preach one point, then we are gonna move out of this. Church, uh, verse 1, it says, but it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that, I, that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that it may be shade a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than one hundred and twenty thousand people who do not know their right uh, hand from their left and also much cattle? It's interesting this passage it, it, it reminds me of some articles on some stars that I kind of read recently is I'm blown away by how many people want God shaped in their own image. Um, and, and when I say shaped in our own image, I think that many people of different faiths um, across the world, if they believe in God, can... Talk about things that they would say the God that they serve, some attributes that they have. However, what makes um, God's distinctive is not merely um, the attribute that we proclaim that they have, but how we believe they actually utilize that attribute. And I'm going to explain that very practically because this passage kind of lays something beautiful out for us as we talk about the idea of being totally exposed because God wants Jonah to know him on a very, very, very practical level. And we'll see in the passage that Jonah is theologically a monster. But even in his monstrous theological grid, your man had some very, very, practical holes in his understanding of God. And so the the point that I'm going to make today is only one point, is God exposes our hearts towards his character. God exposes our hearts towards his character. When the Bible talks about the fact that God is not concerned about externals, but he's concerned about the heart, He knows that many of us can fake the funk easily to human beings and put up a good front. But God, because he sees everything at the same time, he can see where our heart practically is and see where we are trying to act out as a faker and a hypocrite and an actor. And he can see the difference between what we say with our lips but what is happening actually in our hearts. And so the Bible says that Jonah was angry. He was ticked. It says he was exceedingly angry. He was displeased. What was he mad about? This is crazy. (laughs) He goes to Nineveh to preach. As he goes into Nineveh, it was gonna take three days to preach throughout Nineveh. He goes a half a day's or a day's journey into Nineveh. When he goes into Nineveh, it's crazy. People began to repent before he can fully preach to the whole city. And so He's angry right now so he leaves outside the city, he just walks out. So people are repenting and he's walking out of the city like, mad. can you see the picture of a whole entire city in sackcloth, ashes, king bugging because God is about to come uh, 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 fulfill a contract that he has on his life. And Jonah is a preacher. Now when, when I I, I know as a preacher, one of the greatest things that you want to see when you preach is for people to respond to the word of God. But Jonah is ticked. He's mad that they responded to the word of God. And so your man is like, man, I can't believe this, man. And so he's walking out the city. Everybody's, you can hear the prayers, people calling out to God. Oh, God, please don't bring destruction in 40 days. Help us. And He's walking out the city like, he, I mean, he's just mad. I don't know what he got on. He's probably still stinking from the belly of the fish. You know what I'm saying? The sun's beating down on his head, so the stench is beginning. To, I don't know if you, you've, been, you've been sweaty and stinky and nasty and the sun beat down on you and the stench dried up and got worse. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, especially when you forgot to put on deodorant. And so, so when the sun beats down on you on nights where the heat index is 150 degrees and, you know, the humidity is up. And so this cat is walking out of the city, he stinks, he's frustrated, and, and, and and very, 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 very angry. And as we will see in this text, we will find out that God is going to expose that he's not really angry with the Ninevites, he's angry with God. Have you ever been angry with God before? See, many of us are really scared to admit that we've been P.O'd at the living God. See, because we, see, when when you, when, when you, when you've been into Christianity for a while, you find ways around not facing the fact that God is your problem and people aren't your problem. You, you find ways around it. But, but what God does as an act of great mercy and grace is expose the real point of Jonah's anger. And when we look in the text, it says, and, and he, was, he was displeased with God's response by allowing these people to repent, causing to repent. Jonah was exceedingly angry, and he, uh, uh, and he prayed to the Lord. Now, you got to understand, this is the second time in the book where we see Jonah praying to the Lord. Remember in chapter 2, it was the first time he had to pray and God had to make him pray. Now he's praying, but listen to how he's talking to the Lord. He says, oh Lord, is this not what, uh, this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee, from tar- to flee to Tarshish, for I knew. Stop there. It's interesting. Basically, he fled because he knew what God is like. He says, see God, I knew. The word there for know is an interesting word. Say yada. Yada is an interesting Hebrew word. The word for know there means to know something intimately. To know someone, something, or someplace intimately. Whenever the Bible says, and Adam knew his wife, and Abraham knew his wife, that means that as a married couple, they got it in in a sanctified way. Amen. Amen. So here, intimacy talks about the deepest level of intimacy that you can have for a person. And what's interesting is how it's being used here is a little bit different on the, it's Yadonis, because here it emphasizes, its emphasis is on understanding the character of God and experiencing the application of his character. This is going to be very important. Because Jonah now is dealing with the fact that he said, I know what you have liked because I've seen when people have acted a fool in your midst that when they've repented, you've turned. And because I knew that the possibility was the people that I was bitter with, the situation that I was bitter with, I really didn't want you to change that situation. And so therefore, I avoided certain aspects of your personality and your character because I didn't want to see the full ramifications of you practicing who you are. And so here, your man Jonah has seen God do those things. And what does God say? What does he say? He said, this is what I knew about you. He says, this is what I know about you. He says, he said, I knew that you are gracious, a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving-kindness, or steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. I want to talk about each one of these terms as we describe God and how we get to know Him better. The first time we see this idiom, this was a statement that people in Israel used to do to sum up who God is. Now, the way, where they got this from is Exodus 34, 6. Where God first, now he not only does He give him His name, He's given them His name, but then he wants to know, he wants his people to be like him. And in order to be like him, he has to show them characteristics of what he's like. So what God does with this statement is he sums up who he is with this statement. In Exodus, in Exodus 34, 6, it says that God preached who he is. And this is what it says. It says, the Lord passed before him, talking about Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. He says, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant and steadfast love and loving kindness, keeping steadfast loves for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression... And, by, and who by no means will, uh, will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so what God is doing is he's saying, listen, I, there's a lot of what I am. I'm a whole lot of things. But what I want to do is I want to kind of give you a multivitamin pill of who I am. And so what Jonah does is Jonah knows what God is like. And so he doesn't want to see God fully apply his character. Now, what does it mean when we say that God is gracious? Gracious. Um, When we say God is gracious, it, it means it's pertaining to being merciful to the needy and to the repentant. Being merciful to those who are needy and in great need and who's repentant. And what's interesting, what's kind of like an oxymoron here, is Jonah sees other people's neediness, but he doesn't see his neediness. And so many times, we can see what God wants to do for others and needs to do for others, but not seeing it for ourselves. So you see how he knew it theologically, but the practicality of that theology didn't penetrate not only his need for it, but seeing it need to apply to his own life. God being gracious means he grants favor upon people or looks favorably upon people. Not only does he say he is a gracious God, but then it says that he's merciful. Say merciful. Merciful. Merciful here means compassionate, favorable. It means pertaining to showing favor and not punishment as often deserved implying forgiving, implying a forgiving relationship. So God is always open to and looking for the opportunity to be gracious to people and not only to be gracious to people, but to show mercy for people. I don't know about you, but I don't know about you, but how many of you know that God has held back stuff that you deserve to happen to you and didn't allow it to happen to you? Oh, I wish I had a witness in here. Some of you don't realize that God could have wiped you out a long time ago. Some of you don't realize that God could have wrecked your life if he wanted to and be right about it. Come on, somebody. He could have tore you up. He could have let life been worse than what it actually is. But because he's merciful, in other words, he will put gates up in front of you to strain how much the enemy can come in your life. Mercy. Mercy. The old folk would say, he woke me up this morning and started me on my way. I like that sometimes. You got to remember that sometimes. You can't throw out the baby with the bath water. In other words, you got to know that you deserve some stuff that you didn't get. Some of us, some of us think, see, we got such a high spiritual view of ourselves that we can't appreciate mercy. See, see, when you have too high of a view of yourself, you can't appreciate the mercy of God. Flat out. You can't appreciate the mercy of God, and so it's very important that, not that you sit around meditating on how sinful you are, but don't get so high and mighty in your thinking that you begin to think that everything that God has allowed to come in your life is because of a work of your hands. Because you're going to get frustrated with God if you have a works-based relationship with Him based on how He dispenses mercy. See, mercy goes to people who don't deserve it. (laughs) When you begin thinking, oh, I know why God is doing this. I know why. It's it's because I. Oh, Oh, okay. Okay, And, and, and when he shut it down, let's see who it'll be because of then. How many of you know that God, what would happen to you if God shut out his mercy right now? And, and he goes retroactive back to what he didn't allow to happen to you to catch back up with you. I think I'd be suicidal. Matter of fact, we'd probably all be in hell gnashing our teeth together. I don't know if you know, but hell isn't a party. People are like, I can't wait to get to hell. Man, it's going to be banging. No, it's not. No, it's not. The fact that God has saved you from hell is an act of mercy. The fact that God has not allowed all of the consequences of our sin to catch up with us, family, is an act of mercy. I don't care how cool you are. I don't care how cute you are. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how much you think you live right, how holy you think you are. The mercy of God is evident on your life. Bible says he's slow to anger. Woo! That's crazy. How many of us are slow to anger? You know, us, uh, uh, many of us have tender nerves. We have tender nerves. It's easy to get on our nerves. But see, God, it's not easy to get on his nerves. Wow! Wow, it takes a lot, even though sin, God hates sin, right? Even in the midst of the sinfulness of sin, He's still slow to anger even though sin is a violation of His holiness. And He still doesn't let your sin and my sin get as angry as He deserves to be. He holds off His anger to give us time to experience His mercy and turn to repentance. Slow. Slow. Some of us got, God ain't got a short fuse like mama did when you was growing up. Some of us treat God like some people have treated us. Some of us have grown up in households where people are angry all the time. And you got to walk on eggshells and pins and needles to make sure that you do everything right. But what's great about God is even when you're walking on eggshells with him, he'll take the eggshells out from under you and say, it's okay, come here, let me holler at you. Slow to anger. When it says he's slow to anger, it means God doesn't get bitter. (laughs) Jonah, who's walking in bitterness right now, is proclaiming what God is like, but not experiencing what God is like. He's walking in fermented anger and unforgiveness and proclaiming how God never gets fermented in his anger and his unforgiveness because his his anger is righteous, and when he doesn't forgive, it's righteous. Somebody going to get that on the way home. So he puts up with us. Now, now God does, there's something, the Bible does say in Proverbs 6 that there are some things that God has a short fuse about that God will give you a right hook about. It's six things that are abomination and, 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 and one in which he hates. Yeah, yeah. All right? So so I'm just telling you right now, now you might want to go back there later in your devotional time today. He de- but even sometimes when we commit the abominations, he's loving enough to be slow to anger even though he deserves to beat the snot out of us. But then he says the last thing, which is a beautiful, well, not really the last thing, um, He says, not only is he slow to anger, but check this out. It says, he's abounding, he has a lot of steadfast love. Say steadfast love. love. That's the word chesed. Can you say chesed? Chesed. You got to act like you're hawk spitting, y'all. Chesed. Chesed. There you go, there you go, there you go. Some of y'all don't even know what I just said, but, you know, just act like you got a hack in the back of your throat. Chesed. This is an interesting word. It's used throughout the Old Testament as the most prevalent description of what God is like. And when you see in like some older translation, it'll say loving kindness. The word hesed, it's really an untranslatable word that we've tried to make sense of, but the word means loyal love. It it, it sums up the fact that God's love is is loyal. See, some people join gangs to get loyalty. Some people join fraternities of sororities to get loyalty. Some people try to be what other people want them to be to get someone's loyalty. But what's interesting about God is God is loyal to us without our help. Uh, uh, God, when it talks about God's loyal love, it talks about how, it means that God sticks with you in the midst of adversity. God hangs out with you and remains near to you even when you're walking in blatant sin. He's faithful to you and coming after you even though you're not coming after him. It's in the text. Jonah is running from God and God is still running after him. Isn't it beautiful to know when you want to run away from home, God not only lets you run away from home, he runs after you, he runs with you. Matter of fact, you don't realize that he's omnipresent. So wherever you run into, he's already there, waiting for you to get there. He's faithful. He's faithful. I don't care how bitter you are right now with whatever happened to you in your past. God is faithful. Somebody need to hear that today. He's faithful to love you where you are. And matter of fact, He's not rushing you for change. He wants to walk with you through your change. God wants to walk with you. He wants to hold your hand and by His grace walk you from where you are in whatever area of infancy in your life. That's the center of the gospel. That God will incarnate and become eminent among His people. Hang out with them, not for hangout's sake, but to see something happen in their lives. And when we look at this, the, other, the other lexical translation, I, I like this translation of the word better. It means proofs of mercy. I like that. That's a preachable component there. Proofs of mercy. Let me see if I can make it plain. I don't remember, I mean, in the 80s we had, you know, I don't know that they do it anymore. In the 80s, we used to love getting cereal. That was, the, when, we, when we went to the grocery store with mom and daddy, the first thing you went, there's two things you wanted to make sure you threw in, snuck in the basket. You know, I used to sneak it in the basket, put it under the eggs and the milk so mom wouldn't see it until we got to the checkout. Then I could talk her through why I need that cereal. Especially because my mom was like, you know, I don't know if y'all had parents like this, but hated you to have sugary cereal, right? I used to like waffle. Some of y'all don't even know what waffalos is. Waffaloes, boy, that's some good cereal. Um, Captain Crunch, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know nothing about that. Some crunch berries. I used to like to pick the crunch berries out of the cereal. Y'all know nothing about that. And make us a bowl of cereal with just the crunch berries. Fruity pebbles. And know about no fruity, fruity, fruity pebbles. Up in the Honey Nut Cheerios, some of y'all don't remember know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peanut Butter Captain Crunch, though, was all right. Cocoa Puffs. Lucky Charms. Y'all so crazy. But look. On, and, and I used to always, this is what I used to like to do. I used to like to sit at, I used to like to sit at the dining room table when I ate, Right? And I pour my milk. You know, some of y'all don't know what it's like to be on welfare. And you got to get the powdered milk and, you know, mix it with some water. And y'all don't know nothing about that. You know what I'm saying? Mix it with some water. You know, and you put a little bit too much water and got soggy real quick. Whole nother conversation when we talk about stewardship. But anyway, so, so I will put, put my, I have my cereal. I get, I get like a Tupperware bowl of cereal. See, I was just ghetto with mine. A big old goofy ghetto gully bowl and get one of the stirring spoons. And that's how I eat my cereal. All right? But what I, like to, what, I, what I would like to do is I would like to set the box of cereal on the table. And what I would always do is I would read the back of the cereal box, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I always wanted to buy the cereal that I can get something from. In other words, in other words, I, I, like, the, I like the kind, you know, like Cracker Jacks stuff like that where you can reach your hand. My mother used to beat me down by reaching my hand all the way in the bottom of the cereal box to pull the treat out. So, so, but, she, but, but, she would let me. She would let me get the type of cereal box where you buy the cereal and they gotta send something to you. But the issue is, the way to get it sent in you, sent to you, is you gotta cut the proof of purchase off the back, because the proof of purchase lets the owner know that you've actually had a taste of what you're sending in. And see, when we talk about the proofs of God's mercy on our life. See, God has proofs of purchase on your soul. He has proofs of mercy on our soul. I don't know about you, but if you can look into the Rolodex of your mind and begin to remember how God has some proofs of mercy on your life. Well, I got some proofs of mercy on my life. I hope I don't cry as I walk through it. I remember when we found out my wife was going to have a liver transplant. And I got, and I got the computer out, and we playing worship music, and we got our hands lifted as she was going back to get surgery on. And I remember realizing and realizing that we waited a long time for a liver and God sent her to the back. When she came back with the liver, three months later she had cancer on the same liver. But, but, but see, what happens is, is when something challenging happens to us, we either can get bitter bitter at God or be better for God. See, I don't know which one you want to be today. Whether you want to be bitter at God or, 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 or better because of what God is allowed. See, what God wants to do is he wants to set up your life to respond to him in such a way that you see his proofs of mercy. The reason why he allowed you to hurt so much is because he's trying to alley oop you for some proofs of mercy. But you're so bitter, you can't see what he's trying to do. You're so angry at him, you can't see what he's trying to do. You're so frustrated with him that you can't see what he's trying to do. But God is like Kobe and Shaq on the court back in the Dizzy, if you understand, or like Pippin and, and your man, and your man Joe with Pippin would do that thing like that and Joe would rack it up in there. See, you see, listen, see God loves alley-ooping his people But what happens is if you mad because God got the ball in his hand right now and he won't pass it to you, you got to run towards the court because he wants to alley-oop you. Somebody going to hear me in a minute. And so what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to do is he's setting you up. I remember when she got the cancer in her liver and, and we were blown away because something that was a provision for us no longer was a praise. And so we had a choice. We had a choice. We could have gotten angry at God and asked a bunch of why questions, stopped getting with the community of faith, stopped getting in His Word, stopped praying. But we had a choice. If you understand life as a consistent setup, you say, God, I don't understand why you allowed this to happen to me. But I know that all things work together for good for those who are called according, who love you and are called according to your purpose. I know you heard that before, but that's the word of God, not a cliche. It's the word of God, not a cliche. And listen, when God wants to do a proof of mercy, listen, when we say showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life, God lets you hurt so that you can be a show off. Because he likes to bewilder people around you with how much you're going through, but, not, but he wants them to see where you're going to. Oh, I wish somebody would hear me. And so, God, God today is trying to get some proof of mercies out of you. And I remember when, when, when she had to go through chemotherapy, and we were sitting there, minister to nurses, and talk the text. And I was like, Is this the reason, God? And then all of a sudden, the cancer was gone, cancer came back again tripped us out. Cancer came back a third. And, and, other, and, so, and what we began to develop a rhythm of understanding is as much as it hurt to go through those challenges, we always let the proof of mercies remind us not only that trouble don't last always, because sometimes trouble does. That's a lie, by the way. Trouble doesn't last eternally always, but sometimes it'll last temporarily always. But the question is, can you allow the stuff that you go through not to make you angry at God, but get you more close to God and show off the living God? That is so important. That's when you're becoming a real deal Christian. That's when you're walking in gully Christianity. See, I want some gully Christians up in this piece. Some gully Christians. I ain't talking about cussing and acting a fool. I'm talking about gully to the knitting and gritten and rule of the Christian faith. When God wants to show proofs of mercy in your life, he will do it at your expense, but it was already paid for by Christ's expense. Oh. <laughs> and so it's time to walk out of the cave of bitterness, y'all. It's time to walk out of the, and walk out of the cloud of theology and begin to walk in the content of theology. (laughs) It's going to be, it's going to be important for us because your Christianity is not based on what's here, but here. And so God in his power is sitting in a counseling session with with Jonah, this reminds me of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 20 through 27. It says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I hope the steadfast, the chesed of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. Let me stop right there. Listen. I don't know if we're going to get through the rest of the chapter, but all I got to say, y'all, is that God's mercies go beyond where you are, meet you where you are, meet you where you were, and take you where you're going. He says his mercies never stop. See, you used to people putting out with you and getting tired of you. When God is in love with you and a relationship with you, he doesn't get tired of you. But that doesn't give you the right to treat him like a sucker, though. He's not no punk now. But He loves you enough because His mercies are extending for you, are reaching for you. In other words, He's coming after you to make sure that you don't get what you fully deserve. He says His mercies never come to an end. He says they are new every morning. I like that. That that, that means that mercy is your alarm clock, not your Timex. Not your iPhone, not your BlackBerry. That, that's not your alarm clock. Your alarm clock is the mercy of God because the alarm clock can go off and you can still be off. Oh, man. See, see, when God is the alarm clock for your life and His mercies are new, mercies are sitting there. I can't wait till we get up. God told us to show up at this joint. Come on, wake up. Bring God, him up. Mercy, but you got to realize. You got to realize. The mercies of God are rich. And he says, great is your faithfulness. The Lord, not his mercy. Let me say that again. Because some of us like God's mercy, but not him. But see, he said, the Lord is my portion. That means God is enough. That's what that means? Real simple. I know that's too simple, for, but that means he's enough. He's all you need because when you get God, it's a package deal of everything that He makes available. So the Lord is your portion, but God doesn't want the portions that He provides of His stuff to replace him. because many of us are bitter because God is trying to get us to focus on Him as our portion but not what He has as a portion because He knows that that's idolatry. And when He doesn't provide the portions of His stuff and He wants to provide Himself, we get bitter. And the reason why you're bitter is because you have unrealistic expectations of God to give you His stuff without giving you Him. But what's funny is, he's so gracious, and even though we don't make him our portion, he lets the sun shine on the just and the un- that's crazy. Listen to the mer- It's mercy just all over the place. Even when you're committing blatant idolatry and you're in a relationship with him, he still allows mercies to come to you every single day. And listen to you, listen to me, y'all, it's not about us. He says, says, my soul, therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. other words, God is going to allow challenges to come in our lives. We got to bear the yoke of our time on the planet, the challenges that come with being human. But what's beautiful about it is God's mercy doesn't end because there are yokes. And then it says he repents or relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, he says in verse 3, please take my life from, from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to himself to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it, under the shade, till he should see what will become of the city. That's crazy. So he didn't believe that their repentance was authentic. So Jonah goes outside of the city and looks at the city to make sure that God is actually not going to bring some hell their way In the next 40 days. So in other words, Jonah is saying that God, that I do not want to learn more about your character. He said that because he wasn't willing to see God apply the fullness of who he is. And he wanted to see God not relent, but to only bring justice. And so he's not even willing to learn. Be very careful when you don't want to learn anything else from God. Teachability is one of the staples of the kingdom of Christ. It's because sometimes getting to know God, especially for Jonah, at this point in his life, learning to get to know God turned from pleasure to pain. That's because he wanted God to apply his character on his terms. And as we come to a close, I'm praying. There's so much more I can say, I'm going to stop. That was enough. I just want us to begin to have become a community of Barnabases. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Say son of encouragement. son of encouragement. I pray that we become an encouraging, not depressing community of people. <laughs> that we learn, and, and what makes you not depressing is your ability to see the activity of God everywhere. And one of those things that you have to be able to do is see the activity of God in other people's lives even when their lives don't measure up to our standards. That's, 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 that's Christ-likeness at its best. Can you still look favorably at someone even though they're deeply sinful and it's overt, not covert? See, that's when you know whether or not you're applying the fullness of the character of God, and that's what the cross brings. The cross brings the ability For Christ's blood to cause our sin not to be seen before God, but Jesus Christ to be seen before God. But the most difficult thing for Christians to do is to treat people like God treats people with his blood. And so I'm praying that as we grow and become totally exposed, that we would become practically gospel-centered, not merely positionally gospel-centered. Positionally gospel-centered means you know how to communicate it to somebody. But practically gospel-centered means you know how to apply and live in light of the gospel in relationships with people even though it hurts. And so I pray that we wouldn't learn our lesson like Jonah and have to be Have God to have to bring different storms in our life. It says he sent other things to his life. He appointed different things in his life to show him his need for his mercy. That's why the plant got eaten up and the sun scorched on his head. Because God wanted him to see what it's like to actually miss out on what he didn't deserve to get. And so God wants to show us that help, help us to walk with one another where God doesn't have to take us through that class. Help us to learn that class and pass that test. And so let's walk totally exposed as a community. That means we have to be authentic and honest with where we actually are and let God get to it. I heard a guy preaching the other day, don't tell me I'm sick. Don't say that you're depressed. Don't say that, like, why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. You gotta, you gotta confess your issues to God, cast your cares on Him, because He cares for you. You don't act like it's not happening by some silly proclamation, that doesn't make it go away. Jesus makes it go away, not your words. And so let's be honest with where we are, let God expose us, and let's not walk through life with a bunch of unresolved issues. Let's let every time God takes us through something that we allow Him to teach, and help us absorb every single nook and cranny from what He wants us to learn and so that we can never, ever have to go through that again. So God totally exposed us, that's what we pray, that's our desire. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, we know that you've seen Christians fake the phone, we know that you've seen uh, Christians um, be hypocritical, and we should have admitted that we were not on point because many times we're not. But the issue is that makes a Christian different is that God doesn't count their sins against them? If a person n- doesn't know Christ and still sins, their sins are held against them. But you must repent of your sin, turn away from them, and turn towards God and believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins. It was on the third day, rose from the dead and you'll be saved. And what God gives those who come into a relationship with him is the ability to get to know him better and to grow up in all of those areas of their life that have not been transformed and, 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 and renewed by his gospel. And so Father, today we just pray, as you as you totally expose us, that we would be people who walk In everything that you want us to walk in, have a clarity of thought about where we are. Have a clarity of thought about where you are. And help us to be patient with one another. Lord God, and help us, because many times we learn more about ourselves and, and how, in light of how we treat others. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would give us massive amounts of grace to be totally exposed. Not only to where we are, but totally explodes to who you are. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. if you want to trust Christ.